The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Good morning, and uh, if you want to begin by uh, opening to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, we'll begin uh, by reading the passage. While you're opening there, we'll remind ourselves, yeah, we're continuing our series, our Advent series, through uh, inside the book of Isaiah. So far, we've already, a couple weeks ago, studied uh, the joy that God provides through Isaiah chapter 9. Last week, we learned about the love of God, the surprising love of God uh, from David Pickney through Isaiah 52 and 53. This morning, we're going to study the subject of peace in the book of Isaiah chapter 11, uh, the first 11 chapter, or 11 verses there. And uh, so we're going to begin by reading that, and, uh, and then we'll ask the Lord to, to work in our midst here. Chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So let's pray. God, uh, we get to study an incredible text this morning, a passage um, that's just so vivid and so colorful and so full of hope. We, got, we pray that you strengthen our faith Help us to anchor it in who you are and what you're going to do. Help us to find peace in those truths. And God, um, we ask for your hand to be on this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the majority of this sermon, we're going to do a little bit of a mental exercise. So as we're studying this chapter uh, 11 of Isaiah, um, we're going to 
do a little bit of a time machine function in our brains. We're going back to Isaiah's audience time. So bad news is you're all wearing flip-flops and robes now. The good news is it's not 40 degrees outside. It's probably a little bit warmer. But we're going to go back in time. We're putting ourselves in their shoes or sandals. Um, we're we're going to think through this passage from their terms because we have the benefit of having seen and been revealed the details of Jesus' life. But for the people of Isaiah's time, they were in a time of a little bit of turmoil. See, King Uriah is now dead, a a king that had been a good king for the people, something that was a little bit of a rarity. The people are now facing this uncertain time of Assyria. Assyria is this rising country, rising nation, so to speak, a a city that, or a, a powerhouse that, Um, has a little bit of distaste for the people of Israel. And during this time, we're going to see there's just a little bit of uncertainty about the future. The people that Isaiah is writing to, they are struggling to know what's going to happen to their families, to their homes. And this time of turmoil is a little bit different from what the kind of things that we go through, right? But in general, right, we have things in our life that remain uncertain, that can be trials to us. But if you look back in their time, it was more of a global situation. Ours, our situations can tend to be more personal, like singular, just on our family. But the, the same need for peace was needed for the people of Israel as is needed for us. We need peace because of uncertainty in our lives, and they needed peace because of uncertainty in their lives. Which brings us to the main idea for today's passage. The main idea for today's passage uh, is that for us in constant trial, the nature of Jesus and his kingdom is our peace. For us in, in constant trial, the nature of Jesus and his kingdom is our peace. This passage really breaks, that, breaks down that thought. So the first half of uh, what we're looking at shows really, yeah, the nature of the king of peace. The second part really shows the nature of the kingdom of peace. And so that being said, we're going to jump into the, the, first, uh, the first portion here, the nature of the king of peace. And, uh, and so these are verses 1 through 5, but we're going to start with verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So let's take a pause there, and we're going to look at this, this passage. Uh, Isaiah does an interesting thing here. He says a, uh, a, a shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse. A shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse. His wording there is peculiar because we know of David, right? And, and for those who are, may not be aware, Jesse was the father of David. So David was one of the greatest kings that Israel had known. And uh, had, had a lot of, there was a lot of reverence for King David. Even though he had failed at times, he overall was a great king for the people of Israel. And here, Jesse, or Isaiah uses interesting terminology. He says, shoot of Jesse, the shoot from Jesse. Why would he say shoot from Jesse? The natural understanding of that would have been David. David would have been the, the shoot of Jesse. And we also already know that David's kingdom, that we know that God had already promised David a throne that would last forever. So why does, does Isaiah seem to bypass David in this statement here, the shoot of Jesse? 
If our minds are naturally going to David, I think that's purposeful. Isaiah is saying, a better David, a more complete, perfect David. We're expecting a better king than David. And here Isaiah draws our attention. He perks, our attention perks up. The shoot of Jesse, that was David's son. Jesse was somewhat uh, unimpressive or uneventful. But the shoot of Jesse, we had this unique king coming. We also see the spirit of the Lord. So um, we continue on to the next verse. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, with these two verses, we're really looking at the righteous character. We're looking at the righteous character of Jesus. Because, uh, because we see here um, that the spirit of the Lord is resting on this king, right? So, by the way, I'm trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to keep it general, right? The people of Israel didn't know it was going to be Jesus necessarily. We knew what they were looking for. So I may say Jesus a couple times because it's hard to, you know, ignore the obvious. But, but so we see here the spirit of the Lord resting on this king, now, the spirit of the Lord is a unique statement as well. There's something unique about this king that the spirit of God will rest on him in a unique way. This king will be anointed in a different way. The rest of that verse seeks to elaborate what the spirit of the Lord will look like. He'll have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He'll have the spirit of counsel and of might. He'll be a strong king, a wise king. He'll have the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will know God's word and he will be faithful to it. We see here a perfect king, a king that the spirit of God rests on. There's something different about this king. So we see the righteous character of this king and then moving forward from there, we look at the righteous rule of this king, which by the way, these seek to answer questions about the passage as well. So the first one was, what is this king like? Right, hit the righteous character. This next one, verses three through five, how will he rule? Right, this is how the, the king rules. So let's read verses three through five. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so here we see really a perfect rule, a righteous rule of this king. And again, the backdrop, right, people of Israel going into this uncertain time, the people of Israel have really only known kings that have failed them, right? In general, of course, there were kings that had done better than others, but there were times, and it seemed like every time a new king would rise up, is this the king? Will he deliver us? Will he save us? No. Is this the king? Is he our deliverer? No. What about this king? How about him? No. There's this wait for the perfect rule of a king, the righteous rule of a king, that had always fallen short of what was expected. In December of uh, 1788, John Jay, John Adams, John Hancock, and George Washington were among several of the potential candidates of our nation's first presidency. 
And whether a distaste for the name of John or this, that they generally uh, revere George Washington, sorry, John, <clears throat> um, whether they really just uh, revere George Washington and his, and his actions and his character, George Washington was unanimously voted in as the nation's first president. And since then, we've never known another president that has been unanimously voted in, right? Now, of course, the voting process was a little bit different then, but, but it, he was voted in unanimously. These people revered George Washington for what he was doing, for what he could accomplish, right? Here we see a king that, though, though there's not going to be a vote, his, king, his rulership will be perfect. We will revere the works that he's done and will do. It would, if there were a vote, it would be unanimous. This is the king that's for us. And so you have a picture of this faithful king. A note on kings, right? There's a lot of emphasis, of course, in this passage and then also in Isaiah's time on these kings, these actual kings that were ruling. But I think something a little more close to home is that it doesn't have to be a person on a throne or in an office that we give our hope to. It doesn't have to be, a, it doesn't have to be an identity of a person that we trust in. See, we can give our hearts over to the rule of other things, to other thrones, to other offices, to futile kings, kings that will let us down. We will devote ourselves to things that will not follow through, will not satisfy us. But this king, he will be different. This king will be for us, selflessly and perfectly. Uh, think of this quote here, um, said from Brad Bigney in his, in his uh, book on gospel treason. He says, we are worshipers by nature, our hearts don't just drift aimlessly. The drift is always away from the gospel, away from our Savior, and into the grip of something or someone else. And it's true. We can tend to drift. There's no neutral state. Neutral is not natural for us. We will drift away unless we keep diligent. This king holds our attention and our affections. So we've spent a little bit of time, we've heard about the king, what he's like, what his rule will be like. What we are going to do now is take a look at his kingdom. What of his kingdom? What is his kingdom like? We'll answer here. But the next thing here is the nature of the kingdom of peace, right? What are we looking forward to? What, what, kind, of ki- what kind of kingdom will bring us peace? Verse, uh, verses 6 and 7 here show a unique picture. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, like the ox. And here we see a really unique imagery drawn up by Isaiah. It's uh, pointing us to a deeper truth, which we'll get into, but really when you read a passage like this, first, you know, there's, you have really two reactions to it. One is more obvious, one's a little less obvious. The first and more obvious one is like, 
that's just weird, right? You're watching, you're looking at this picture of uh, wolf and lamb laying together. You're seeing, you know, predator and prey cohabitating with each other, not, not in constant threat. We've seen enough National Geographic, right, to know that doesn't end well, right? And we, we've seen that. Um, unless your children, you know, don't, don't look. But we see something, and it, it's strange, right? It, it's kind of unnatural in a way. That's the first reaction that we have to it. The second reaction, and a little less obvious to us, is the, the reaction of, but that's how it's supposed to be. That, that there's something also natural about the imagery here. There's something that seems like that's right. And we live in a world where this kind of thing is illustrated often. This world is broken. It is damaged. September 11th, I saw the brokenness of the world more vividly than ever before in my life. It was September 11th, 2017. And uh, we had gotten word that the cancer had spread from my mother's lungs to her brain. And by September 22nd, we had lost her. And all of a sudden, from that time and since then, I've often thought to myself, uh, it's not right. That's not the way it should be. And we all have moments like that, right? In our lives to varying degrees. I have another friend. Uh, he's my age, and he has a, a wife with a couple kids. And they got word about cancer, that his wife had cancer, and the outlook was not good it seemed likely that he was going to be raising children on his own at 30 years of age. Thankfully, and God was displaying his mercy in a different way. He was um, healing her. The most recent uh, diagnosis was very positive, that things were going better, right? But again, I say those things to say this. Through our life, we can expect to have moments where we look at it and we say about life, that's not right. It's not the way it should be. It's broken. This here in Isaiah is displaying a world where we won't have those experiences. Where we'll look at the world, we'll look at nature, we'll look at our lives, and never again have to question or say, it's not right. That's not the way it should be. We will forever say, that's right. This is the way it was supposed to be. So we see a creation restored. That's what we're looking at here, is a creation restored. The next thing is the curse reversed. And this is where I think Isaiah starts to get particularly good. Verse 8 says, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And here we see the curse reversed. So let's think about that for a second. I mean, anytime I've read this in the past or I've heard, heard this verse, there's always a little bit of a shudder. You know, you think of a child like not next to poisonous snakes, you kind of get uncomfortable. You think well, that's, you know, dangerous, right? Isaiah is drawing up this picture. And if we read it, we look at it enough, we start to pick up some themes that, that we've heard before. We start to hear something that sounds familiar to us. And, 
it's something familiar that we have to go in the beginning to recognize. Here God speaks to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here, God uses language of the offspring of the woman and the serpent. And here, Isaiah uses the offspring of the woman and the serpent. How will this kingdom come? We see it comes by God reversing the curse, reversing what we brought on ourselves. If you're like me, there's an aspect of the world where things happen to you, things are discouraging, things challenge you and, and, uh, and really put, you, put your patience and your faith to the test, right? There's things that happen outside. But for me, the most frustrating part of this world is that even still, after having seen the glory and God's grace, that I still have the stubborn child inside of me that wants my way that still, on a daily basis almost, can act with disobedience against God's grace, that still can have that selfish and broken motive towards the world. So why is this significant? Why is this what Isaiah talking about is significant? Because he's talking about taking that out. He's talking about removing what we've brought on ourselves, and God graciously forgiving us, and bringing us into himself closer. God will reverse it. Isaiah looks forward to a time when we are saved from ourselves. It's the curse reversed. Uh, The third aspect of the kingdom, you know, when will this kingdom come? We see in verse 9, a consummation revealed. Verse 9 says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so here we see a glorious time of God's kingdom reigning across the entire world. We see God's, uh, God's gracious revelation of himself making its way out where people have this knowledge of him across the entire world. Clearly this is a, a future time of global spread of this good news, of this um, kingdom. But yet there's something about it, and we'll dig more into this, but for now let's, let's talk a little bit of how we experience it now, how we experience it today. World War II, probably the greatest conflict the world has ever known. And there was, thankfully, a day when the news had gone out The war was over. Germany had surrendered. The war was done. The greatest conflict the world had ever known likely was completed. That that day had come. What was unique about it was that in that time, there were nearly 12 million United States citizens who were enlisted in the military and the armed forces. 12 million. Of that 12 million soldiers, or 12 million um, uh, personnel in the military, 8 million people 
we're overseas. We're stationed outside of the United States. And you had this time and this unique challenge that all of a sudden came about the U.S. military. How do we bring them home? The good news had come, right? The war was done. It was over. But we have 8 million people in, in Europe, Africa, in the Pacific, that all of a sudden we have to get home. So the United States military came up with what's called Operation Magic Carpet. Operation Magic Carpet was the, the process of bringing all the soldiers back using battleships, using airplanes. The process to bring 8 million soldiers, you can imagine that's a lot of people, took 14 months. So there's 14 months that you're in Europe or in Africa, right, some island somewhere. There's 14 months where you're waiting to go home. The war is done, but you're still abroad. You see, church history talks about us, teaches us this, that uh, there's a common thought called the already but not yet of God's kingdom. The already but not yet. See, these soldiers were experiencing that exact concept. The war is over. Yep, as an identity, you know, I have no more missions to complete in, in that sense, but I'm still not home yet. I'm still abroad. We're waiting to go home. The war is over. Jesus has won. See, there I go again. See, I'm trying. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. But it's tempting here. We saw this in Isaiah 9, those who walked in deep darkness, right? We saw it a couple weeks ago. There's a temptation to forget that that kingdom is coming. There's a temptation to forget that this isn't our home. We're still abroad. That, that temptation is very real where we begin to make home where we're at. We become very comfortable with what we have. And that's not to say that earthly gifts aren't truly gifts and something we can enjoy, but we lose that perspective that this is not the end. 14 months, we look at it now, right? It's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, 14 months, that's not too bad, right? I mean, it's just a little over a year. Most people probably got to go home. But when your family is overseas still waiting for you to come home, you're still waiting to get off of that ship and hug your wife and hug your children, right? 14 months is a long time. Eight months is a long time for something to be done, and we're still waiting. We still wait. We can't forget. We're still abroad still waiting to go home. And so, yes, we've seen what the king is like. We've seen what his kingdom is like. And uh, we've seen that they are glorious. But still, one question yet is yet to remain. The identity of the king and his kingdom. Although I've already said it a couple times. But the identity of the king and his kingdom. Verse 10 We'll start there. First, we see the Christ's rest. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the root of Jesse. Now, here is a really interesting thing. This is probably one of the things that stuck out to me the most from the study of this passage. Early... In 
Isaiah is writing here of his prophecy. We, we see that this king, the king of peace, is referred to as the shoot of Jesse. He's referred to as a shoot of Jesse, a descendant of Jesse. Here, we see something different. The wording is just slightly different. Here we see that he's the root of Jesse. Here's the root of Jesse. Why is that significant? Because here we see that somebody that is not only a descendant of Jesse, who is to be of his lineage, of Jesse's lineage, we also see that this person was also the source of life to Jesse. If this king is not God, this is very dangerous language for a prophet to make. We have both the descendant of Jesse is also the source of Jesse's life. We saw this in Isaiah 9 as well, right? We saw a king who was going to be born, yet was also described as God. We saw the, this, this almost contrasting view that this, this king who was yet to be born was also being depicted as deity. And here we see it again. The descendant of Jesse is also his source. You remember when we, talk, uh, when we talked back in verse 2 that the Spirit of the Lord descended on this King of Peace. Where have we heard this language before? Listen to Matthew chapter 3. It says, And when Jesse was baptized, or sorry, scratch that, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I well pleased. You know, you can't really get more Isaiah-rific than that, right? The, the Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God is descending on him. It, it comes and places himself, places, the Spirit comes and places himself on Jesus. And then we read in verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Here we see this moment that the King is coming. The King has come. Jesus Christ is the only candidate who could qualify for this king of peace. In all of human history, there is only one who has been as perfect and has taken the position of this king, and that's Jesus Christ. He is this glorious king of peace. He is the one that the prophet Isaiah says, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So we see that Jesus is this king. A second point here, we've seen the identity of the king. Now we see the identity of this kingdom. Who is the kingdom? Verse 11. Here we see the chosen return. In that day, in verse 11, in that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. What is it meant by yet a second time? Right? That's significant, right? We read Isaiah's wording here. He says, yet a second time, God is pulling his people. 
So we think to ourselves in, in the history of what, God, what God's people at this point had, could remember, right? When was another time that God had drawn his people out? When was another time that God had drawn his people out from, from neighboring nations, right? From Gentile nations. Our mind goes to the Exodus. One of the greatest events in God's glorious history. The Exodus. In that day, a second time, his hand, yet, or sorry, in that day, will extend, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. We saw this also in Isaiah 9. So you notice that Isaiah is very consistent in what he's saying to us. Uh, Isaiah 9, we saw this, right? The, and I'll steal from Jacob's words there. Um, so, well, these aren't Jacob's words, this is the Bible. Uh, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, that's what Isaiah says. Jacob said, for clarification, that, that sub, the subtitle of that is King's Cross Church, right? Here, Isaiah is pulling the same idea out. In that day, the Lord will extend from all of the world his people. We are these people. Subtitle, King's Cross Church. You know, that's one of the things that I love. One, so about the Great Commission. The wording there is specific as well. Go make disciples of all the nations. A direct fulfillment of Isaiah's, Isaiah's um, prophecy here. Go make disciples of all the nations. The second thing I love, a little more practical for us, I love where we meet. I love this location. And uh, albeit it gets cold during the winter a little bit, but, the, but in general, like what's really cool is that we get to look out this window, right? And we get to see when there's not as many little pictures and stuff in it, but we get to see the city of Manchester. And often when I'm sitting, standing there and singing, it's, it's, it's natural to look out the window and think, of the application of this, right? To reach out to our neighbors, to proclaim the gospel to the nations. That's what this is. This is that, this is that commissioning that Jesus gives us later. God has gloriously and graciously pulled us from the world. We have seen a glorious light. But almost more importantly than just the act of doing that and sharing the gospel, um, is the implication of this. If the exodus is what's brought to our minds here, if the exodus is what, what Isaiah naturally wants us to think of, then there's something deep here at play. Because the exodus was a time where God was pulling these people out of Egypt and making them his people. The phrase that was used several times is that, I will be their God, they will be my people. I will be their God, they will be my people. I will be their king. They will be my kingdom. And here we see it as well. God has pulled us and has made peace with us. You see, more importantly than the peace that we desire, really, that we crave when times are difficult, more important than the, the peace that we need when finances are tough, more importantly than the peace that we need when our health is not the greatest, more important than any of that is peace with God. The rest is God's grace and goodness if we have peace in those uh, temporary pieces, but peace with God 
is above and beyond what we need. And that is implied here. God is pulling us and has pulled us from the dark world and is making peace with us. See, we are the second exodus. We're being pulled from the darkness, brought into the light, given peace with God. And so, with all of that, our ch- the challenge remains to us twofold. The first is to remind, right, remind ourselves this isn't our home. That the trials, the uncertainty that we experience, that Isaiah's audience experienced, it's not the end. This isn't the ultimate, right? We thought about the, those soldiers again. 14 months doesn't seem like that long, right? In our comfortable homes and warm, warm places, that, that seems all right. But when you're in a tent and you're stationed abroad, that's a long time. Think of those who've gone beyond. Think of what we will think in eternity, how short this time was, how long that time will be. We have to think in this present that this isn't our home. It's a short-lived in comparison. There's peace in that kingdom. It's here and yet to come. The second implication is this, and it's expressed most clearly in verse 10, and I'll I'll close with that. It's this, the invitation to us still stands to come and inquire of the King of Peace, the glorious King, Jesus Christ. None other than him qualifies to be that king, to come and give us rest. That doesn't mean that the trials stop, right? That doesn't mean the uncertainty is becoming more clear. It means that he is our God. We are his people. He is preparing a home for us that we'll go to soon. We must inquire of Christ. So with that, we read verse 10 one more time. Again, the root of Jesse He is the root of peace. Verse 10 says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who stands as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray. God, we thank you. There was so much obstacle between us and you. And by your grace, you closed the gap. You came to us. God, you made peace with us. If it were not for your grace, we would have no chance. There there wouldn't be a way. But God, in your faithfulness and your goodness to us, you did make yourself known to us. And now we have the great privilege of standing on the other side of the cross, looking back knowing in clarity and in detail what your son Jesus Christ has done for us to bridge that gap. You're both just and the justifier. God, the challenge remains for us that we inquire of you, that Jesus, that we would come to you and we recognize you as the king of peace. We rest inside of you, that we'd not make home here and that we would not Um, give our hearts over to other kings, but God, that we would faithfully and um, lovingly 
follow after you. God, help us in that this week to just be faithful in that way. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.